For as long as I can remember, since childhood even, when I've fallen in love with a book, I've wanted to sit down and talk with the author. Now, I'm doing just that. Welcome to Words with Writers. I'm your host, Jenny L. Weitrip. I'm an award-winning, best-selling author, and I'm talking to authors about the writing craft, the writing life, and the books you love. Thanks for joining us. I am thrilled to welcome Cynthia Rukti to the podcast this morning. Uh, I have long been a fan of, of yours, Cynthia. I believe our debut novels released the same year, mm-hmm. and yours, They Almost Always Come Home, had a profound impact on me. Oh, my I goodness. still remember this story. I may have even emailed you a fan email. I don't know for sure. (laughs) But uh, I think at that point, uh, having written just one novel, uh, your book uh, sort of solidified in my mind, my love for contemporary women's Mm. fiction. So we share that in common. And, and, and uh, Ginny, I could say the same for you too, because your your books from the very beginning, the, from the first one that I read of, of yours, kind of gave me permission to dig into tough topics, but to do it in a way that wasn't going to uh, be either offensive to the reader or, um, you know, we're always... always tripping over. We hope we're not triggering anyone when we have a tough topic, but you and I both are addressing those same kinds of things. We're not, you gave me permission to dig deeper and I'm really grateful for that. Thank you. And Francine Rivers gave me permission and many of us to dig deeper, Mm -hmm. didn't she? So Uh, true. So yeah. Well, thank you for that. Let me introduce you for those writers and readers who um, may not be familiar with your work. I would just suspect that many, many of them are, but I'll read the official bio for them. Uh, Cynthia Rupti tells stories hemmed in hope through her novels, novellas, devotions, and nonfiction, and through speaking for women's events, retreats, in writers' conferences and workshops. She draws from 33 years of experience writing and producing the 15-minute daily radio broadcast, The Heartbeat of the Home. Her books have received recognition from RT Reviewers' Choice Book of the Year, PW Starred Reviews, Sela Awards, Christian Retailing's Best Awards, Golden Scroll Awards, and Novel of the Year, The Carol Award, and two Christie finalists and more. She serves as professional relations liaison for American Christian fiction fiction writers, is a founding board member of the Deliver Hope Ministry, and is part of the worship team at her church. She's also a literary agent with Books and Such Literary Management, and she lives with her husband in the heart of Wisconsin. All that was true, pretty much. (laughs) Um. And that's a lot that you are involved (laughs) in and a lot that you do. And as I mentioned to you in email earlier this week, uh, I would love to, uh, if we get the opportunity, talk a little bit about how you, if not balance, at least some of your productivity tips that you've learned through the years that you can pass on to writers. So we'll get to that. But first, 
I want to talk about Facing the Dawn, which comes out March 2nd with mm-hmm. Rebel. It is a deep, spiritually deep, emotionally deep, engaging, all the things I love <laughs> story. What's your, tell us a little bit about the story. Give us the hook, the pitch, whatever you want to share about the story. It'll be interesting to talk, I think, a little bit about the what how the story turned out in a way that I did not expect. We often find that to be true. We're mm-hmm. heading off in one direction when we start a novel, and then it takes on a life of its own, or the the characters ask for more, or they ask for us to take it farther. I honestly thought in the beginning that it was going to be a book about a a kind of snarky woman who who has an interesting sense of humor, but life has just turned pale in every way for her that everything is harder than it should be. And she's the bottom line is that she's trying to hold things together at home while her husband, who is a humanitarian, is off being a hero across the world. And at home, she doesn't feel like a a hero of her own story in any way. And her house is falling apart and she hates the job she's in, even though it's a perfectly fine job. Her kids are giving her all kinds of trouble. They're, They're just about teenager on up to just about graduating from high school if they graduate. So she's in a a state where everything seems to have just taken on this washed out, faded. I would have used the title faded, but somebody already did that. So um, I thought it was going to be her journey of getting the kind of getting the color back into her life, kind of going from a from this pale, faded life and get gain that color back. And then I realized that God was asking me to do something far different with the book. Mm-hmm. And that it turned out then to be a book that deals heavily with loss and grief and what she thought was a faded life. That wasn't the bottom of the barrel for her, that it got far harder for her to to manage. But then I think it also, my hope would be that Facing the Dawn also helped incorporate a lot of themes for women wherever they are in their life journey. Life may seem swell at the moment, and Mm -hmm. probably not a lot of people would necessarily say yes to that. But no matter what we're facing, we're either going through a minor trial that can cause us to worry and have deep grief and anxiety, or it's something major, and then something more major will pile on top of that, and something else on top of that. Navigating those waters is a big part of the core message of Facing the Dawn. Yes. And isn't it, it's such a neat story also of friendship and Mm. the importance friendship plays uh, in those times of grief. So. That that is so true. I I found that to be kind of surprising because in the middle of writing the book, not not the true middle, but during the process of writing the book, I reconnected with a forever friend of mine who we had been long time friends, but we never got to see each other. We'd been friends from I think probably second, third, fourth grade, something like that, but then. 
I moved away, then she moved away, then our lives went on and our adult lives happened and we would exchange. At first, probably we were pretty good at exchanging letter communication and then it got to be just at Christmas time with a Christmas card and and then I stopped sending Christmas cards like I used to, And um, but I would always get a message from her that was uplifting and encouraging and she always signed it, your forever friend. So that inspiration as well as a lot of several other truly solid forever friends in my life who have either been with me for a long time or have come into my life at a very specific, important time for the role that they played with me, um, who held my hand or they held my shoulders or they held my hair back or they uh, walked me through something that was very difficult or was my cheerleader when I was going through something that might have been hard, but not necessarily was soul stretching rather than soul deflating. Yes. Um, those women and and also the, the in the story too, there are men, a young man and an older man, and who play a significant role in in helping Mara get her feet underneath her again. And sometimes those relationships are ones that uh, are completely encouraging. Sometimes they are kick me in the rear end so I get moving again. Uh, And sometimes they're just sitting there with no words to say, but their presence has such a strong influence on us. Um, So those friendships that I've had in my own life, all of a sudden I knew Mara has to have these people if she's going to be able to navigate this well. She even if her faith had been strong in the beginning of the story, that her walking through these scenes of her life was not going to happen without the presence of some curious and quirky and just charming friends, but also those who would hold her feet to the fire when that's what it was time for. So um, yes, I appreciate that you mentioned that because it's not just a story of grief and loss. It's not just a story of how do we manage when life feels like it's falling apart, but it's very much a story of the role and a tribute to the friends who help us through. Who, you know, there's that country song that says, I'm going to pray you through it, or I'm going to love you through it. And in my mind, I'm thinking, I'm going to pray you through it. I'm going to walk you through it. Uh, And that's so often the way we get through. Yes, absolutely. I really appreciated that part of the story. Okay, so talking to writers, as I was reading, um, I recognized the inciting incident, the uh, or incidents in this case, um, that piece of the story where the story takes that turn and there's no going back. Something has happened. And all of a sudden, we're in pretty deep waters in this story. And from a writer's perspective, I'm always analyzing as I'm reading. And what I found so fascinating was the way you used Mara, your protagonist, her personality to add levity to a heavy story. Mm. Can you talk about that balance? And was that intentional? How did you create that sort of that break that the readers need? I think oftentimes, no matter how 
um, serious the subject matter of the book that I'm writing. In most of the books that I've written, uh, most of the women's fiction that I've written, the reader will find those breathing spots that the comedic moment that seems how, how do you write comedy in a book or a humor at all in a book like this, like this one, or like a fragile hope or some of the others that I've written that have tackled really tough, tough subjects where either grief or loss or pain is center stage most of the time. But in my own life, and as I look at the lives of the friends around me, even grief, even the loss mm-hmm. of someone we love often has these threads of humor that help us breathe again, even if it's yeah. just for a minute. So in real life, I'm seeing that. I don't think it's just my particular personality that that happens around me, but I remember having moments soon after my mother passed away when we found ourselves laughing. And at first we were just almost horrified that we would do that because it had been such a great loss. But at the same time, it was honoring to her memory that we laughed about that particular incident or scene or words or phrases that she would use or or even her word the words that she spoke in the last 24 hours of her life my mm-hmm. my sister took um took a kept journal notes about that and some of them were just hysterically funny even though it she was breathing her last breaths and it was so difficult she'd had such a long road mm-hmm. toward the the gates of heaven um still those moments were part of the story they were part of the story and yes it was intentional that mara's personality which she had kind of this snarky edge to her and she was you know but her friends also helped with that too. Her friends did too. And I I noticed even in just about any relationship we have, when we come up against a really tense moment or a, a make or break time for us where we could, we could fall deep, deep into a pit because of how hard the conversation is or how hard the trial is that we're facing, if we can somehow find that little thread of humor that's also present in there. And in a way, it's if you're going to spiritualize this, in a way, it's sort of like having the gall to say that there is hope on every page of every story mm. if we're writing God's story. Yes. How is that possible in the middle of some of the really tough scenes of life? But we know that the hope is there. And sometimes when we have that rest spot where where we're seeing the ridiculousness of what's happening to us or the the um that that little kind of someone says something that just turns our thoughts for a moment someplace other than where we've been focused for so long. Um that we can call it a breathing space, and I've done that a couple times now, but that thought, um, I believe, helps to temper the depth of the hurt and the agony and the pain and the despair, um, and also helps humanize the characters walking through this. If we had characters walking through a a season where perhaps they've had a great trauma that has happened to their lives. And the trauma is always center stage 
and nobody else came on stage except that trauma. It was always there. That would be a very wearying read. Yes. And you and I write books already that we know that the reader is going to have to invest if they want to pick up our stories. (laughs) So yes, that was intentional. And I... I pray that readers find that it wasn't out of character, but very much in character with who these people were. Absolutely. That's what was so wonderful, was you created uh, this multi-layered protagonist, emotional layers, and set it up in the beginning that it, it just rang true. This is who mm. this woman is. Mm. and uh, And yet from... Uh, a writer's perspective that was necessary, I think, to this story. You could have done it some other way to create that that break, that breathing space, but uh, you did it beautifully. So um, I highly recommend for writers who are tackling a difficult story to pay attention to that piece of uh, Facing the Dawn because uh, it's so important to the writing to, you know, how it's um, presented to the reader and their journey through the book. I think part of Mara's, oh, I'm sorry to interrupt here, but part of Mara's uh, personality in the beginning and part of the problem was that she wasn't instantly lovable. And that's a, that's kind of a (laughs) danger spot for an author to have their main character, not be instantly lovable, but it was the where it was the wearing away of the sharpest Mm -hmm. edges of even her humor. That was part of her character arc that even that had it, she couldn't lose that forever or it would take away who she was as a person. But the the sharpness of those edges became rounded a little bit more and a little more sensitive to the other people around her. And then that was even part of her healing, was watching even her sense of humor be healed, if you would, by by, uh, her growth throughout the book. Yes. Yeah. Beautiful. Thank you. So well done. Talk a little bit about theme in fiction. Uh, In this book, particularly, you used themes of light and color. And uh, I don't know you well personally. We we know each other professionally. Um, I think you are an artist at heart. (laughs) I know you are musical and... Uh, you know, I look at your background and I see artistry, I see artistry in your writing. And that came through so beautifully in this book, in the the music that you uh, write about and the color and the use of light. How important are those themes that you weave through your stories? Some of them uh, take me by surprise, as, <laughs> as we would assume they do yes. when we get through. But part of part of this particular story, uh, the inclusion of the very specific art pieces or color symbolism that mm-hmm. that was woven through the story. Uh, part of it was because my uh, granddaughter had been at the time interested in art therapy as a career. 
And as I began to look into that a little deeper and find out how, what role does that play? I realized, well, it's playing a role every day in our lives. It played a role in the lives of people probably from the beginning of time. We, we know that God was very intentional in creation in making mm-hmm. things beautiful, outrageously beautiful. And then And we, as human beings, as we walk through life, we may have that moment when, oh, I am going to lose it. Just give me a minute away in a quiet little chair somewhere. (laughs) I'll come back to you people, but I have to have a minute. And if we have a minute with a mug that is a favorite mug or with with a, a surrounding that is beautiful, or we take a walk outside and we're struck by a single bloom of a flower, all of a sudden, the beauty itself has been part of our coming back to center, getting ourselves back in that place where we can handle what we're going through. And for me, I've been seeing more and more and more how beauty and art has is so essential to us, even if we don't consider ourselves artistic. It's part of the observation of what goes on around us. And if we get in a place where we're failing to notice the beauty around us, we know we're in trouble. So if we intentionally reconnect with the beauty that's already around us or intentionally find or make or create beauty, that's going to have play a role in our being able to that that same idea of feet underneath us, straighten our shoulders. Okay, we're moving forward through this crisis, but the beauty itself and the and the artistry itself and the music itself has had a, a key role. Music has been one of my key ways of connecting with God. Mm-hmm. Um, the word, obviously, but music for me. I know it's not that way for everybody, but mm-hmm. that's one of my for for for. Other and nature is important, but for my husband, nature is ranks higher than music does Mm -hmm. in his Mm -hmm. list of ways that we connect and ways that we refill our soul when we're when we're feeling drained or um and but there have been in my own life times when taking note of some some artists' particular method of whether it's watercolor or um sculpture or something. the nativity set that I have even that I just finally put away (laughs) the particular angle of the head of the Virgin Mary toward the baby Jesus. That was just, it really spoke to me. I've seen a picture of um, an artist's rendering of if Eve had a chance to meet Mary yet in contemporary times with one another and the look on Eve's face that Mary was carrying in her belly, the answer that Eve had been praying for since day whatever of creation wow. when the fall came. Um, the, the symbolism of that is it has such a powerful effect on me. It's just like if I open up the Bible and I find a verse that how did I overlook that one? But all of a sudden it's fresh and new and it speaks to my need of the moment. So I really appreciate that you you noticed, and partly because of your background, you noticed mm-hmm. those intrusions in a way of some particular color or whether it's a bright one or a dull one, they play different roles in this book. Um, there's a spot where the reader is going to find out why a simple thing like a comforter hanging on a clothesline 
how the change of that color when that fades would be such an emotional moment and such a turning point moment for the character. So, um, and I love experimenting with those kinds of things where if you, if you're an observant person yourself, you will find so many more layers in the story than those who read it just for the story hurry through it, get to the end. Great. Now I'll go on to the next book, but I right. love to tuck in little things that the reader can savor. Yes. Well, and you do, and you wove that so beautifully, the color into the arc of the story, the plot, where at the end, those colors, I can see them as oh. I'm reading their vibrancy mm. and, um, so that was a delight from a reader's perspective and a writer's perspective who was reading your work. Thank Beautifully you. done. You write very spiritually deep stories. So they're emotionally deep, they're spiritually deep, which they need to go hand in hand. We know that. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> um, but it's sometimes hard to naturally weave in those uh, spiritual elements. How do you do that without making it preachy or feeling mm. contrived? From the very beginning of my writing career, and I, I can sense it from yours as well too, mm-hmm. Ginny, but from the beginning of my career, I found myself as a reader turning away from the books where the maybe if I was reading prairie romances in the in the early days, where the only person who said anything about God was the preacher in the pulpit. And that was the turning moment for everybody in the story. And and they would refer back to the sermon and maybe print the whole sermon in in the pages of the story. And I realized yeah. that is so unlike what real life is like. In yes. and, and then began to read even statistics about how most people, most people, now there are obviously very many exceptions, but the majority of people have in it, their encounter with Jesus comes in a talk with a friend, that that's the beginning of their opening their eyes to see that there might be a possibility that this hope thing, this peace thing, this faith thing is real. Mm -hmm. And it's in natural conversations with friends that they have that first introduction. So I kept that in mind. I keep that in mind as I'm writing. And I know there are times when readers will probably feel that, well, that got a little, that got a little nudgy there, (laughs) what, what you've done. But for the most part, I, I, want it to be more like what happens in real life. Am I moved by sermons? Every single one at my church, every single one. But then I find that where the real joy comes is if I take a nugget from that, and it's when I share that nugget with a friend who needs that uplifting word, that's when it becomes real and it starts to blossom and it has meaning. And then it goes on from person to person to person. So one of the things I love to do is tease that faith thread in and out. I, I don't want it to be absent from any book that I would write, but I also want to make sure that how it's coming across is in a is in a natural way. And I I think it's far more natural for us to write about characters who don't have it all together, yes. even in the faith realm, 
at least at the beginning of the book. And usually at the end of the book, they still realize they have a long way to go <laughs> in that and with relationships as well. So, um, so yes, it's when I, and, and in my work, when I work with other writers too, I oftentimes will flag those places where it looks like it started to sound a little preachy. And there are almost always ways that it can simply be reworded or in a different atmosphere or spread out over several chapters rather than in that one scene that happens to be the one you can point out in the book that is the faith scene. It needs to be either in its brokenness or in its um, in its growth and its maturing. It needs to be a, a gentle unveiling. That's what it's like for so many of us. When I don't know. Uh, about your faith story, particularly Ginny, or any of the people who might be listening, but with with me, I can point to several moments in my life where, while well, that was an important faith moment, and this was another important faith moment, and then there was a a turning point where I eventually where I realized, okay, it's you and me, Jesus, and I'm all in, and here we go. That does not mean that I'm not still learning every day and progressing every day in my walk with him. And I often at the beginning of the year will take a look and say, am I a better prayer warrior this year than I was last mm -hmm. year? Am I, am I less worrisome? Do I worry less this year than I did last year? Do I, am I kinder this year? Am I exhibiting all the elements of what a mature faith would look like? this year than I was the year before. Well, our characters are probably going to go through some of those same things of they're going to be caught off guard by how their faith has wavered and caught off guard by those moments when they're exhibiting faith because they were exercising it and didn't even realize it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I love that. Okay. One last question about the book, and I don't want to give anything away, so it will be a little bit vague, but you use a phrase in the book, guarding the dawn, which is meaningful to Mara, your protagonist. Does that have a special meaning to you? What does that mean to you personally, guarding the dawn? At the, be at the beginning of 2020, I was asking as many people were asking, what's my word of the year? What's, what is my word of the year? And I uh, hoped it was going to be a word I could live with because sometimes <laughs> I'll be given a word like courage or, yeah. or endurance or something like that. And I, what I felt that was coming was a phrase instead of a word. And that was guard the dawn. And I thought, what on earth can that mean? I had no idea at the beginning of the year, but I knew it was something that I needed to address and think about. I didn't know at first if that meant that I was supposed to be getting up earlier in the morning. That was not a happy thought. <laughs> I, I, I hoped that wasn't all it meant, but it turned out that as we were the virtual location for a couple of our grandkids, uh, I needed to get up way earlier than normal. And we, and I saw many, many more dawns in 2020 than I ever knew I would. And then what do you know? It's carrying over into 2021. Yeah. But 
But that was only a part of it. Then I realized there's a dawning of a lot of things in Mm -hmm. our lives. There's a dawning of a new relationship. If we guard that dawning of the new relationship so that we're handling it well and we're observant and we're watching it and we're taking note of that dawning of that relationship, sometimes it's the dawning of a new project. But if we don't protect it, if we don't guard it, the project can fall apart. If we treat it carelessly or casually or unobservantly, mm-hmm. unmindfully. Um, so I, I, I am going to write more, but I, I've written a couple different blog posts on the idea of what that meant to me throughout this time of focusing on the thought of guarding the dawn. The book, Facing the Dawn, became like the pinnacle of what that would mean then in this year. And then that was written into the story, too, into Mara's story as well, as she needed to face the dawn and realize both that the sun didn't just fade things, but it was also a source of power and energy. Yes. And and in that in that moment, and you know, even the role that the East played for her, um, facing East and facing it, not not shying away from it, was really important. I don't think I'm yet done with all that that mm. phrase means. And then I was finding more words in in the Bible that talked about in the morning I will, and all those sorts of things. So that that phrase was. Um, not just a, like a pilgrimage for me throughout the year, but then it wound up being something that's very important in the core of the book itself. Absolutely. So um, still working on it. I carried that phrase over as well as uh, my, my f- word of the year for 2021 that I'm still working on turned out to be a phrase again. And I thought not, uh, not again, where I have to really dive deep and find out what this means. But it's if I dwell, if I dwell under the shadow of the Almighty, this happens, this happens, this happens. If I dwell on my problem, if I dwell on that hurt, hurtful word, if I dwell on that resentment, if I, if I dwell any other place than in the shadow of the Almighty, the outcome will not be good. So there's, I'm still working on that. We're early in the year, so <laughs> going to be working more on that. But yes, wow. Facing the Dawn, the that's... fact that that's the title that the book wound up with could not have been more perfect for this particular year. Yeah, boy. This book is, um, in my opinion, very much God's timing. Oh. Um, what a wonderful story for what we have been through for readers who have suffered this year and many, many, many have. Mm -hmm. So what a gift you are offering them. What a gift God is offering them through this book. And I really believe that uh, the timing, the, the phrase God gave you early in the year, all of that, well, we know none of it is by chance, but it just seems very, very evident in this story. So Thank you. Uh, I don't want to take much more of your time. I'm going to ask one more question and I could ask dozens more. (laughs) So it's taking great restraint on my part. (laughs) Uh, As I mentioned, when we went through your bio, you wear a lot of hats and that's true for a lot of writers. Mm -hmm. A lot of us 
consider ourselves career authors, but we do a variety of things. Mm -hmm. What have you learned? Can you give us one tip or <laughs> a couple quickly? Uh, how do you get it all done? How, you know, do, are there processes? Are there things that you've discovered that are helpful? One, one of the things that I would mention is that writing is often seasonal. There are sometimes seasons where the demands of our young children are so great that our intentions about how much we can accomplish have to be tempered by that. Or sometimes it's the, the needs of our husband, or sometimes it's the, the day job. And almost every writer has a day job so uh, of some kind, as you mentioned, mm -hmm. or a side gig um, in the middle of that. But so allowing ourselves the freedom to know that there will be seasons. Sometimes we have a, this drive within us that doesn't match up with the pace that God has for us in that. We want to get this done by this time and that done by that time. My first book didn't release until I was probably 25 years beyond when I thought I'd like to have a book published. So, but that was God's timing. And I can rest in that now. Another, another element of all of this is that we, ha we have to understand our own personalities. My, the way I am wired makes me write at a different pace than it would for a lot of other writers. I respect their pace. And uh, mine is different. And the, the way I've had to work from almost the beginning it, and there's probably a medical <laughs> term for how I do this, but um, from the beginning has been that I, I dive into a project and I want to, to keep at that, but I have lived a life of continual interruptions, but those interruptions have all been God-ordained, most of them, except for the ones that I accidentally stumbled into myself, <laughs> but <clears throat> God-ordained and giving giving myself, as I'm a tour, giving myself permission to let the interruption happen, deal with the interruption, and then realize that God is probably using that interruption to help formulate what I needed for the next scene I'm going to be writing. That happens more times, more times than it doesn't. Um, allowing somebody has, it's often been said that, um, life is what you write about. So if we're not living life, what do we have to write about? If we're not yeah. feeling all the feels, if we're not allowing ourselves to be side by side or shoulder to shoulder or elbow to elbow with people who are going through hard things, how can we write authentically about them? So the balancing act is not a balancing act because we'll never find that balance. <laughs> we might as well give that up. But tips and tricks for this is oftentimes... I had to wind up eventually giving myself permission to not be getting any words on the page, but being content with having pondered the scene that was going to be written when I could finally get there. So I would shove little bits of pieces of paper or into a, a actual file folder, or I would shove little nuggets into a computer file folder, content that, okay, they're safe. They're not going to go away. I won't lose that sentence that I thought was so bright, but I can't get to it right now to write that down. And it winds up for me being that the pondering time is so valuable that when I finally am able to get to the computer right, the writing flows much faster 
than it would have if I had just sat down and said, I'm going to get this many words done today. And then I'll go do whatever else I'm going to do. I, I'm not one of the writers who has the rhythm that I can, I can just sit down and and dictate how many words I'm going to get accomplished in a day, except for deadline week. That yes. <laughs> then I have to, but but otherwise it's um, and and so much of that I think I hope that this is helpful to other writers. Find out what your rhythm and your personality is. It won't be a duplicate of anybody else's. And then give yourself permission to do the compensating things that you need to do in order to work in that rhythm. That might be that if you're a night owl and you write best at night, then find a way to meet the needs of those around you and then allow yourself to write at night if, if that's what works for you. That's great. Very wise words. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much uh, for this time, for writing a beautiful book, Facing the Dawn, March 2nd with Ravel. Where can readers and writers find you online? They can find me easily and at my website, which is CynthiaRukti.com. Or they can reach me at hemmedinhope.com. That my tagline is I can't unravel. I'm hemmed in hope. So if they if Cynthia Rookty becomes a little bit of a mouthful, <laughs> they can they can um, find me through Hemmed in Hope, which goes to that same website. And then online and just about any social media um, location, it's there usually under Cynthia Rookty on Facebook. It's Cynthia Rookty Reader Page. And um, I'd be happy to connect with, with writers and readers. Perfect. Great. Thank you so much for your time. Oh, thank so. you. This has been a joy. Thank you for listening to Words with Writers. For show notes, links, and resources for writers, go to wordsforwriters.net.